Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that as we, Lord God, continue to open your word, looking, Father God, for direction, for help, for wisdom, we continue to find, Father, that you speak to us through ways that we've never seen before, through greater understanding, through magnifying your greatness to us. So we thank you today as we come together that your word teaches us in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have this message and another message in this series that we've been teaching called Walking in God's Awesome Future. The full title of this message is Walking in God's Awesome Future Today. And the last two messages are all about the today part of that. So here's what I want you to do. Pay, pay attention. Here's the thing you need to understand. Today is yesterday's future. Today is yesterday. Say that to your neighbor. Today is yesterday's future. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to make sure that you understand the difference between today and what the future is. Because yesterday is over and today is its future. And so when you live in God's awesome future, there are really about three things I'm going to show you today. I'm really doing a great Bible school uh, sermon today. It's three points in a prayer. And, and uh, that's what they teach oftentimes. And I oftentimes rebel at that, not purposely, but because God seems to have more points than that. But in this case, I have three that the Lord spoke to me on a Tuesday morning sitting at my children's kitchen and dining room table. So this is a dining room table sermon. All about today is yesterday's future. You are living in the future that was prepared and created by what you did yesterday. Today is a product of the seeds you planted yesterday. Today is yesterday's future. Now notice if you would please in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Let's begin reading together in verse 8. Where it says... For by grace you have been saved through faith. Notice the application there is that the grace that God gives that accepts you where you are has to be empowered by the faith, by grace through faith. And faith is a gift that God gives you. So that faith empowers. That's a now word. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. You can hope that your life's going to get better, but your hope is in the future. But when you have a now faith is moment, it's a today deal. Now faith is. We want to live in that part of it. Of course I have hopes. I have vision for the future. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But I want you to get your faith into today. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. I haven't seen them on this earth today. But I'm living in them by faith today. Amen? Okay, so notice he says, By grace through faith you've been saved. And that not of yourself. It's the gift of God. Boy, if you could ever learn anything about your today, it's a gift of God. You are standing in God's preparation for you that he did before you existed anywhere but in his ideas. Prophet said, I knew you in your mother's womb. I knew you before you were formed. We know the Bible says those things. Notice what else it says in verse number nine. Not of works. 
lest anyone should boast. You are not a product of your good thinking. Your, your ability to, to, to live in accordance with what you believe God's word, you're not a product of your works. If you can get past that, you'll quit expecting God to bless you for what you do. You understand that God blesses because of what Jesus did. You say, but doesn't God notice when I do good things? No, he predetermined them for you to operate in them. That's what the next verse says. Look at verse number 10. For we are his workmanship, literally the product of what he did, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now look at the next part, which God prepared beforehand. God is not surprised by what's going on. Well, I wonder what I'm going to do next, God says. No, he never says that. He prepared beforehand the works you're in right now. We're prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, that workmanship is literally the result of God. And the prepared beforehand literally means to furnish or to make ready ahead of time. You know how excited heaven is when you step into what God made for you? Have you ever? I was talking with a pastor yesterday. He was asking about Tracy and I, and we, we, we were at the Aglow conference, and, and Tracy was speaking, and this other minister was asking, asking about that. And I said uh, that, that we had fought against the call of God, and maybe me more than, than Tracy. And, and every church we went to for a season of time, people would stand us up and prophesy to us about ministry. And it got to be kind of embarrassing because I was telling God no, and God kept reminding me that the only right answer was yes. You, 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 thank you. You never actually fail a God test. You just get to keep taking it. Okay. And by the way, he told you the right answer. <laughs> All he's looking for you is to just spit that out and say, here's the right answer. And I was fighting with God. And for reasons that are just goofy. I mean, I know that now, you know, I have 40 years into ministry. I know the pastors don't have to be the way I saw them 40 years ago. Right. You, you, you can be different than that. And I went, well, that's good. I would have liked to know that beforehand. And God said, I was trying to tell you, but you kept rebelling. Well, thank you. He prepared it beforehand. I want to tell you, it's a great sin to refuse what God made just for you. It's a great sin to refuse what God... He said, how do you know he made it just for you? Because you're walking in it. That's what it says. To tread about, to be occupied as proof of provided ability... Listen, when we pray for people, it's not because we feel specifically powerful by God. It's proving that his ability rests in us. It rests in you. You're supposed to be walking in those things. Thank you, Jeremy, for thinking for me there and putting those things up because I I was going to skip right over them and they're pretty powerful. (laughs) He made those things beforehand and we're supposed to walk around. We're supposed to be occupied with this as a proof of his ability. And if you don't get that, you got to start walking a little bit more. You got to say, well, God, I can't do that unless I know I'm going to be successful. Let me just point out something to you. You're never going to be successful. Because it never depends on you. Come on. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on what God has already done through Jesus Christ. Why don't you just stand in that line for just a second? Well, I'm going to pray for people. God sure hope you anoint me. 
God says, don't worry about that. We're going to let Jesus do it. Don't worry about that. We're going to let the Holy Spirit do that. You say, well, but what about, no, I don't want to be noticed. Not, I'm not up here to be noticed. I mean, it's kind of hard. I'm, I'm, you know, 22 feet tall and 300 pounds. And so, you know, I cut a pretty wide swath. But what God is doing is not to make men be noticed. It's to make him be noticed. See, that's his workmanship. We are a product of his workmanship. I love the revelation that I can kind of blame God for how I am. What made you think of that? I don't know. It slipped out before I could get stopped. There are just times where God does things. And, you know, as, as the person who's being used to God, you've got to listen closely because you didn't know you were going to say that. I was in a service yesterday praying and, and, or, and speaking, and I, I, the Lord gave me this thing to say. And so I said it, and somebody from the back of the congregation hollered out and said, can you say that again? No, I didn't plan to say it the first time. I didn't know. You know, if I'd have known, I'd have wrote it down so I could depend on myself some. We're supposed to be walking in those things. Here's your first quote. Some people have no concept of what God has for them because they sacrificed the beginning of his work on the altar of human limitation and opinion. If you ask somebody's opinion about what you're supposed to do in God, you're asking for someone to contradict God. You need to get what you get from God. Be open, right, to the people you're submitted and committed to. We work in community. We work in family. But man, when somebody comes up to you and says, well, I, I, I had it all the time. Man, I, I just, you know, I didn't graduate from high school being the most likely to become a pastor. So people would come up to me and say, you know, go to high school reunions and all of that. I always loved it because I could always tell a rented car. It's got that little, that little thing in the corner of the window in the back seat, you know. And so, you know, if you have to rent a car to impress me, you need to take a sticker off of it. And so there's all this stuff going on. People come up to Tracy and I and say, I just can't believe you guys are pastors. How does that work? They, they, they didn't know. They didn't know how. And, and so they only knew me at 17. And now at, at whatever age it was, I think I went to my first high school reunion at 15 years. And, you know, people come up and go, wow, we heard you were a pastor. I don't know what they expected to see. Maybe one of those really large wooden crosses hanging on a great big chain around my neck <laughs> that proves my Christianity, you know. Or maybe when I sat down with them, I got all King Jamesy on them and said, oh, thou dost know that these people need to knoweth Jesus. <laughs> no, that wasn't who I was. That wasn't who God was, was. And I wasn't who they wanted me to be either. Because, see, this is a gift from God. He prepared these things beforehand. So don't sacrifice it on the altar of personal opinion and limitation human-wise. You'll never get anywhere if you're going to let humanity limit you. Because I just want to tell you something. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. That's what the Bible says. People met Jesus and said, how can anything good come out of Nazareth? Did you miss the memo from heaven that Jesus comes out of Nazareth? Well, yeah, they missed it. Nothing good can come out of that. Don't let human limitations. The children of Israel walked and they said they limited the Holy One of Israel by their belief system. Well, God doesn't... I always find it interesting. God has this great sense of humor and, and you all know, you've heard me say this before. 
I love thinking about making a movie. And you may remember when the children of Israel were wandering around, they got to whine and they didn't have garlic and they didn't have turnips. I'm thinking, who cares? I mean, if I never eat a turnip ever again in my life, I wouldn't care. And, and you know, they didn't have leeks and all that kind of stuff. And so then God, you know, they didn't have water. That's kind of serious. And so God hit a rock. I just want to know who the first person was that tasted the water that come out of a rock. You got to think these things through if you're sitting there. Somebody hit the rock with a stick. And water came out. And somebody took their cup and put it down there and decided they should drink that. Some of us are a little bit scared of, I've been in places where you don't drink the water. And so I'm just, you know, I'm in the, in the desert wandering around being led by people I don't even like. That's what the children of Israel were doing. You know they didn't like Moses, right? They kept saying to him, why'd you bring us out here to die? Moses needed counseling. Everybody thought that he was leading them to their death. But you see, God had a work prepared. And they were to walk in it. Because you see, you can't sacrifice on the altar of human limitations and opinions what God has called you to do or you'll never find what God has planned through you. Amen? Turn, if you will, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Notice the 12th verse. It says, for this reason. For what reason? Well, see, Timothy... Is, is Paul's son in the faith. And 2 Timothy is that intimate letter where Paul knows he's about ready to check out. And so he's going to have to kind of leave Timothy in charge. And, and, and so he's giving him all this great stuff as his son in the faith. And, and if you look over back in, in, in verse number like 8 or 9, 9, it says, Who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Before God wound the alarm clock, this stuff was planned. And he's saying this to his son in the faith. He says, listen, this is not according to works. If it would have been according to works, God would have blessed what Paul was doing previous to his Damascus Road experience. When he was killing Christians, God would have said, yes, way to go. I'm cheering you on. Kill some more of them. But God knocked him down. He said, you're persecuting me, Jesus. You're kicking against the goads, the King James says. God knocked him down and made him blind. You ever wonder why that happened? Because all that Paul could see went against what God was trying to do. See, Paul was an educated theologian. He was a religious guy. Jesus came and, you know, most everybody missed the fact that he was the Messiah that had been prophesied for 4,500 years. And, and so they, they missed that. And so God, I believe God helped Paul by taking away his sight so he could recreate what he could see. He had to see differently. His faith had to become a now faith that's based on a Messiah that he didn't believe in. He had to see that differently. So notice it says in verse number 12, For this reason I also suffer these things nevertheless. Now pay attention because if your now, your today, is going to be yesterday's future, you're going to have to buy into some of this stuff. Okay? You have to buy into some of this stuff. Notice what he says. He says in verse number 12, I suffer these things nevertheless I'm not ashamed. Listen. 
what you go through, even when you miss it, becomes a part of God's work in your life. Jesus' arm is not short when it comes to saving you from your own ignorance. Right? And so you'll do things trying to serve him. You know, and you'll, you'll get all wound up and decide to do these things. And it'll be a colossal failure. You go, oh, I can't serve God because I don't even know what to do next. He let you do that. You just failed at it. He let you fail so you'll depend on him. Every pastor I've ever dealt with needed to learn how to perform for an audience of one. Listen, sometimes I catch you people. You're looking up here. And you're frowning. Maybe you didn't understand what I said because it was really good news, but your face says bad news. And sometimes I catch you and you're trying to elbow home a point, right? You got, especially if you're sitting next to your spouse, man. You can hear so well for your spouse. And you try and plant that seed with the point of your elbow. Bam! You need to get this. And God's speaking to them all by himself and doesn't need your elbow to plant the seed. Amen. It's not according to works. That's what he said. He says, listen, I'm not ashamed. I have so many things in my background that I could be ashamed of. If I began to list my failures, you'd wonder how I made it this far. Man, I failed colossally over and over and over again. I remember... I put out a, 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 a three-fold brochure. I love Jeremy No, I love this kind of stuff. So I bought a three-fold brochure. I printed it on both sides. I'll pre-fold it up. And it was called B-H-A-G, B-H-A-G. And so I taught him what a B-H-A-G was. Big, hairy, audacious goal. Isn't that cute? We got a B-H-A-G. My whole church was all excited. Well, we we're going to build a new sanctuary in the BHAG. And had a funeral, and this is our story I've told you guys before. Had a big funeral, and people parked where we were going to build the building. And the BHAG was my idea, not God's. Now, it was hairy, all right. It was audacious, all right. You know, audacity is when you think you can do something without God. I named it right. It was all of me. Amen. I'm not ashamed. Man, I missed it biggest life. When I came to this church, I said to the elders one time, I don't remember what we're going to do. And I said, well, you need to do thus and so. And they all got behind. I said, I think it's going to cost about this. And one of the smart aleck guys said to me after that, he says, you're really not very good at this, are you? It costs twice as much as what I thought it should cost. I'm not very good at this. God did that one. He didn't care whether I could estimate what it was going to cost. He didn't care. You say, what was the difference? Trusting him was my idea. It was his idea. It's going to rise and fall on him. I'm not ashamed of that. He says, for I know whom I have believed. See, this is not a what. This is not a thing. This is a person. I know who I've believed. See, I'm not believing for the results that God seems to suggest might happen. I'm believing in Him. 
I'll just walk with you, God, and we'll just accept whatever comes from you. And you say, well, don't you want to put a fleece out there or something? Um, you know, the fleece has kind of died in the Old Testament when he sent us the Holy Spirit to tell us so that we wouldn't have to guess based on water falling out of the sky onto sheepskin. I don't know if you think that's normal, but it's not. He did it once. There was one burning bush. There was one guy who walked on the water. One time. It happens a lot with God. I'm not depending upon what he spectacularly does. I'm depending upon who he is. He said, I am persuaded. I love to be persuaded. It literally means to be convinced by internal argument. I'm persuaded. How many of you ever had an argument inside yourself about whether something was true? I'm not sure. Is that true? Maybe that's true. I don't know. Really? Is that what God wants to do? Paul became persuaded. Now, I don't want to pop any of your bubbles here, but remember, this is the last book that Paul wrote before he died. He's at the end of his life, and he's just now talking about the fact that he's persuaded. He worked on it his whole life. He could say it without ashamedness. I'm persuaded. I had an argument inside of myself. The first one was, is this Jesus guy actually the Messiah? God won that argument. The second one was, he didn't go down to talk to the, to the disciples at, at, at Jerusalem for in one case three years, in another case 14 years. He didn't go check with man. He was persuaded. He talked with the Holy Ghost. He told stories about what Jesus did with the disciples that he was not present to learn. Isn't that interesting? You say, oh, somebody told him. You can believe whatever you want. But he spent 14 years talking with the Holy Ghost, probably in a cave somewhere. And by the way, he only had the Old Testament. This is previous. Right? This is previous to the new. See, sometimes we think about these guys and they say, oh, they just understood the Bible better than we did. They didn't have it. They did not have it. Who did they get their understanding from? In a lot of cases, face to face with God. That hadn't changed. He said, I'm persuaded he's able to keep, he guards what I have committed to him. Committed. It's the treasure that you place in his hand. See, sometimes we have to take the treasure of who God made us to be and just put it in his hands and say, okay, God, I give up. I can't do this without you. Here you go. And you allow God to do it. So I'm going to give you three points today. Today is yesterday's future. So stop basing your faith on tomorrow. Faith is not a tomorrow issue. Hope is. Faith is a now thing. It's a today thing. And it's based on the substance of your hope. So just watch when it becomes real to you. That's when you have a now faith moment. You can walk in. My hope is a tomorrow issue. My faith is a today issue. Are you with me? Let me give you these three things. Here's the first one. Your future should be marked by the commitment you made that you choose to live by today. 
every day you have an opportunity to make a commitment about how you're going to live. Okay? And so you, you look at these things and you say, okay, God, I just commit to give myself to you. And what he wants you to do is to learn how to live that way today. So how do you make your future a reality today? You live by the commitment that you make through faith. See, in Galatians chapter 2, the Bible says, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live. This is so difficult to get your mind. See, everybody remembers this verse, but it's difficult to get around that we're walking as a dead man through the life that God provides for us. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the commitment. God, I'm dead. You say, boy, that's a tough commitment because I, I feel pretty alive most of the time. He says, no, the life I now live, I live by what? Faith. That's a now faith is moment. I'm not hoping. Well, I hope someday Jesus fixes all my problems. First of all, someday already happened. Jesus fixed all your problems. And you want something special. You want to walk on the water. You want to see the bush that doesn't burn. You want to see the manna fall from heaven. You want to see the quail that God provides when we have no more meat. Listen, to qualify for those things, you've got to wander around for 40 years. Did you hear me? You all still with me? To qualify for quail, manna, water out of the rock, you've got to wander around for 40 years. Anybody want to sign up? I didn't think so. What do you really want? You want to now faith this moment. Right? You don't want, well, someday we're going to go into the promised land and wander around for 40 years begging God to do stuff he already did in Jesus Christ. I want to live in that today. Make a commitment today. The life I now live, I live by faith. It's a now moment. Here's your quote. Many people's future will be marked by the regret of what they waited so long to start. When you have regret, man... God had to kind of heal me of this because I felt like that I had the opportunity to influence people when I was younger. Being, being a, a basketball player and having a good team and all that kind of stuff and, you know, all the little junior high kids hanging around bothering you and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, man, if I would just been a Christian then, I, then I could have looked at them. And, you know, so let me tell you who some of these kids were. Rusty Walker was one of them. Well, he didn't need my influence. He did Okay. Right? Down in Austin or somewhere preaching. You know? People's boy was one of them. There's all these boys that, that uh, you know, they were kind of hanging around, wanting to shoot, you know, and probably singing the song, I want to be like Glenn. I thought, boy, if I just could have influenced them. Listen, when you're fleshly, you look backwards for instruction. You look into your past and say, boy, I wished I would have. Listen, let's do the hope thing. Let's look forward and then let's grab a hold of that faith that hope says and say, oh, today I got a hope. I'm here today influencing your life for tomorrow. I couldn't have done this any other way. This was God's plan. Amen. Notice, if you would, please, in the book of Habakkuk. It's just one of my most favoritest places. 
more because I really don't know how to pronounce the guy's name. And every pastor gets up and kind of says it different. I heard one guy say Habakkuk. And, and so, I, listen, do we care what his name is if he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? I don't know. I'm sure somebody can go to school for a long time and learn how to do this. Here's God's word to him. I'm not going to contextualize it, but, but this is God speaking back to, to Habby. He says in verse number two, write the vision. Make it plain that he may run with it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Let me show you something about this. If you'll put up that, if you still have those, those things, the number two says your future should be guided by the vision you choose to live by today. Your future should be guided by the vision you choose to live by today. See, that's how you take your tomorrows and make them into a now faith is today moment. What did he say? He said, write the vision. My wife and I have talked for almost 40 years about what God has shown us about ministry. And in this time of our life right now, we know that we're not done because we haven't seen everything that God said, this is what you're going to do. Right? And so there's a vision out there. Now, initially we wrote it down. I wrote it down. I had, I had it on paper. Now it lives in my heart. Now, and I'm looking for those opportunities to speak in that, in that thing that God put in me. Write the vision Make it plain. I've worked for 30 some odd years in pastoring to make it plain. Why? So that he who reads it can run with it. You got to run with it. Listen, God didn't design you to be poor. He didn't design you to be sick. He didn't design you to live on a roller coaster. You ought to write that down and live differently. Why? Because it's for an appointed time. It's a now moment. Notice it says the vision is yet for an appointed time. Why did he tell us to do these things ahead of the time that he was going to do them? Because he wanted us to get them in us, in me. Wanted me to get it in me so that when it happened, I wouldn't be surprised by it. See, when you're surprised by it, you can't hardly cooperate. Because you can't believe what God's doing. But if you've been preparing for for. 5, 10, 15 years, and you say, well, I don't want to prepare for 5 or 10 or 15 years. Well, I got news for you, sweetheart. Um, it's throughout the Bible. People prepared for a lot long. It, it doesn't take very long to have a burning bush experience, but it might take 40 years for you to get ready for it. Amen? You say, well, I want to be successful now. Your definition of success is goofy. You want to be noticed now. In the end, it will speak. What will speak? The vision. This is the Glenn Klein version. In the end, God will tell you, I told you so. I told you I was going to do this. I told you so. I had such an aversion to being poor. And God said, I didn't design you to be poor. I thought, well, the design is missing a stitch or two because I was poor. But you know what God taught me? Different vision. Are you ready? I looked to the church to be my source. 
And so early on in Imperial, Nebraska, when I was first pastoring, the church didn't pay me well enough. And I was able to, to blame man for what God said he was going to do. And I learned how to trust God. I said, God, if you'll teach me, I'll trust you. What did he do? He gave me the vision. Tracy and I are operating on that vision to this day. He says, listen, I'm going to hide things for you because need is not how we're moved, but rather provision is how. So provision-based living is God knows what you need before you ask. Well, stop wasting your time with all your asking and keep looking for what he hid for you. It's all along the path. It's hidden there. You know, some people will scatter seed like they don't have any sense. So I just pick up the seed. I'd like to put it in good soil. So it can produce the harvest. Not going to just scatter it. Not just going to throw it willy-nilly. Put it in good seed. Good ground. In the end, it'll speak and it'll not lie. See, that's God saying, I told you I was going to do this. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. See, it's appointed time. So here's your quote. Writing it down... Continuing to make it plain and running in it is his plan for you in the appointed time. So start today with a little bit of writing. You want to live by the vision that God has made clear to you. You say, oh, I don't know what vision is. Well, write down the craziest stuff that you think God can think up. I mean, why would anybody listen to you anyway? Do you think they listen to you because of your vast wealth of experience and wisdom? I'll tell you, you're not listening to me today because of that. You're listening to me. Many of you are listening to me today because in the midst of the crazy stuff that I say, you heard God's voice. You're not listening to me. You're saying, oh, God, is he going to shut up anytime soon? I just want to hear your voice. See, that's why I live for the approval of one. Because if you all depend on me to say the right stuff to fix your life, you're going to be struggling for a long time. But when you hear God's voice, he'll fix your world. Amen? So write it down. You say, okay, and like, if, it's, if it's more than about three words, keep refining it. Make it simple. Make it plain. So whoever can read it can run with it. Right? We've made things evidently so simple at this church that four-year-olds think it's okay to get saved. Jesus, come live in my heart. Well, that didn't work. There are only four. Please, please don't stop what God's doing to tell somebody how old they are. And by the way, just because I'm old, don't stop me to tell me how old I am. I have an appointed time, and it's not up to us. He says in verse number four, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. By the living expression of what God's put in you today. I live by my faith. Here's the third one. Your future should be filled with the refreshing you receive by choosing to live in repentance and conversion today. Your future should be filled with the refreshing. Now I want you to hear this right. If you magnify the repentance and the conversion part of that, you'll miss... They're refreshing. Well, I just need to repent all the time. Okay, you can. It's kind of like 
all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? What do some people magnify? The fact that you're such a dirty, rotten sinner. You might miss the point that God designed for you to be in His glory. All have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. What was God's design for you? His glory. And what do we do? Man, you guys are dirty sinners. Why doesn't somebody point out the fact that God designed you to walk in the, in the weighty presence of the manifestation of God? That's way cool. I already know I'm a sinner. Occasionally when I'm preaching, I sin. Because I look at some of you and I don't think you're paying attention. And then I say, you know, they'd be better in their life if they'd pay attention. Big dummies. Come on. You've, listen, if you've ever led a Bible study and, and you caught somebody who just wasn't kind of with it, you look at them and said, well, they really need this. You stop what you're doing to engage with human opinion. That's like being in a race and somebody hollering at you from the stands that you're running wrong. Don't stop the race to listen to somebody give you instructions. <laughs> oh God, you're just hilarious. When you run in to the devil... In your race, it's because you're going the right direction. If you never run into the devil, it's because you're running with him. Amen. I think we ought to have a juking and jiving class for life running. See, the devil wants to stop you with human opinion. He wants to magnify the cares of the world. See, all God does is say, I want you to do this. And all the devil says is, boy, you need to get busy. And he magnifies busyness so that the cares of this world will rob the fruit from your life. You just get busy, busy, busy. You say, yep, I'm serving God. I'm so busy. Nope, the devil's got you so busy that you're captivated by the cares of this world. Go look at Mark chapter 4. It's right there. Now, notice in Acts chapter 3, verse number 19. Let's see if I can land this airplane. Repent, therefore, and be converted. So that your sins may be blotted out. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Let me demonstrate this to you. The word for repent means to turn around. It means to kind of go in the other direction. Okay, so if my sin represents this direction and God says repent I need to turn around and go the other direction now he says be converted that means to be changed well when I turn away from the knowledge of sin on this side I turn into the knowledge of heaven on this side the conversion part is when I take what exists in heaven and turn back around to live in this earth with it that's conversion I sin, I look up and God says, I need you to do it this way. Yes, sir. And I grab a handful of his goodies and I leave his presence up there to bring his presence with me down here to live in life with it. That's this verse. He says, repent and be converted. What's he asking you to do? Not just to be sorry for your sin. Of course you should have godly sorrow for that. But when you turn around and face heaven... Dear Lord, take some of the conversion principles with you. 
and turn back around to the earth with a toolbox full of what God does in heaven. And he says, when you do that, there'll be times of refreshing. Now, I hesitate to define refreshing to you because it's a different kind of a word. So let me define it to you with this quote and compare it with its opposite. Times of refreshing are consistently better than times of condemnation. When you don't learn the principle of repentance and conversion, you'll turn around in the repentance and continue to call yourself a dirty, rotten sinner. And you'll never grab the conversion principles. And so you just turn back around in condemnation. Oh, I'm so bad. Not even God can love me. See, you left the conversion principles. You left the things that said God chose you. You didn't choose Him. That if you'll just submit yourself to Him, He'll work through you. Oh, God can never do anything through me. I'm such a loser. Do you see how those things work? You might repent all your life. And by the way, some of you have been like the rest of us. You've repented over things 150 times. But things don't change in your life. Why don't they change in your life? Because you don't take the conversion principles with you. If God didn't design you to be addicted, then take his presence with you that delivers you from addiction when you turn around in repentance and say, God, forgive me for what I've done. Reach up into heaven and take the principles that God has for and turn back around with those principles to live an addiction-free life. Right? God didn't design me to be poor. This is, this is where I learned this. I said, well, God... How you want me to handle that? He said, I left you these conversion principles. I said, what are they? Give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together. See, test me of this if I won't pour out for you a blessing that overflows. See, that's, that's the principles. Test me in this. Well, listen, I don't have anything to test you with. Right? When you're poor, you don't have anything to test with. Oh, that's not right. See, I can turn around and repent. Say, well, I don't have anything. Remember when God was talking with Moses and he says, what's that in your hand? He said, it's a stick. Throw it down. Turned into a serpent. Whoa, that's pretty cool. And then God said something. Are you ready? Pick it up. Okay, wait. It's a snake. Pick it up. Um, God, it's a snake. Pick it up. But God, it's a snake. Pick it up. He picked it up, one version says, by the head. Now, I just want to tell you, I'm not a snake handler, but you want to get away from the business end of that snake? So pick it up by the tail and hold it out here like this. But what he do? He picked it up by its head. Why? He took authority that God was offering him over the snake. Oh, so that's a conversion principle. God, I'm poor. What do you got in your hand? Throw it down. Now pick it up and use it in the authority I've given it to you in. <laughs> okay, that sounds like a better plan. But you see, what happens in all of this is that we don't look for the times of refreshing because we're so condemned. 
based on what we've done. So you see, if you want to live like today is yesterday's future, you're going to have to bring some of these conversion principles with you and you're going to have to operate in times of refreshing. And I just want to tell you something. It is way better to operate in refreshing than it is in condemnation. If pastors would learn this way, they would lose the discouragement of pastoring 10 people. I know pastors who are pastoring 10 people. And that's how they talk. I only got 10 people. Now, I want to, in my snide way, say, well, you're better than me. I only got one. I'm working for an audience of one. If there's 10 people here, I'm still working for one. If there's 200 people here, I'm still working for one. So I don't do this because you're here. I do it because he's here. See, that'll fix you. Well, my ministry doesn't have any notoriety. It doesn't need any notoriety if it's based on you. But if you'll magnify Jesus, he'll be notoriety enough. Amen? Did you learn something? You, 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 got to, you got to figure this out. Because if you want to live in God's awesome future, you have to do it based on the now faith this moment. Right? You got to take that time's refreshing. You got to turn and repent. You got to take those conversion principles and you got to bring them back to earth with you. My will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What you bind was that you can't bind anything. You just take the bound stuff that's up there. Sickness is bound in heaven, healing is loose in heaven. So you just turn around and get some. You say, Oh, I just don't believe that. It's okay. You can live a condemnation life and a miserable life if you want. I'm here to tell you that refreshing is better than condemnation. Amen? Amen. Come on, music team, stand with me, would you please? What an awesome time to live in God. See, he wants to do so much more than you can ever put your mind around. The the book of Ephesians tells us exceedingly abundantly above. Most of us just want to magnify the above part. Well, yes, you know, Pastor, his ways are higher than our ways. They're beyond finding out. No, they're not. See, he wants to show you the exceedingly abundantly part. You say, well, yeah, but won't we make mistakes in that? Yeah, you'll you'll make mistakes hand over fist. But remember, you don't ever fail at this. You just get to keep taking the test. And so when you learn what God has for you, I learn that God has refreshing for me. You know, church services don't have to be about what we go through in life. And yet all of us go through stuff. And we have to remember that God designs us for times of refreshing. He designs us for expressions of glory. He designs us from our hope into a now faith this moment. That's how we're supposed to live. Amen? Hallelujah. Father, thank you today for this time, for, our, for, for just how you speak to us. We just bless you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.